I speak today with Cyrus Sanandaji, the founder and managing director of Presidio Bay Ventures, a commercial real estate investment and development firm focused on the design, construction, and long-term operation of a diverse set of product types for private and public sector tenants across the United States. Headquartered in San Francisco, Presidio Bay's primary expertise is in new construction and major renovation of complex, mid to large scale office buildings, mixed use urban infill multifamily communities, industrial distribution centers, and other special use facilities. In today's conversation, Cyrus and I speak in depth about the firm's latest project in Menlo Park, Springline, which the company took over in 2020 to re envision its purpose and character. Cyrus, good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon, Vlad. I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Good, good. Where do we find you today? You know, I'm actually in San Francisco. I just got back to the office from a site visit down on the peninsula. Okay, excellent, excellent. Well, good to have you here on our on our podcast. Uh, Cyrus, uh, I usually ask our guests for a little bit of an intro just to kind of, you know, tell us, uh, you, know, the, you know, the winding road of their career, if you will, and how they ended up where they ended up. So I'll, I'll ask you the same uh, to kind of give us a little bit of, a, of an introduction into you and Presidio Bay Ventures. So at the time I was, I was working in the federal government based here in San Francisco and covering California, Nevada, Arizona, Hawaii, Guam, Saipan, and Samoa. Been exposed to a tremendous amount of development given the time post-08. There was really nothing going on in the market in terms of new construction. And I had was fortunate enough to have been tasked with quite a number of new developments. And as the election approached, I really had looked around to try to figure out what the next chapter would look like for me. Having met some really incredible uh, and inspiring people in the private sector uh, over the course of the preceding three years had had a number of conversations. And, you know, remember, this is 2011 timeframe. Of course, the economy is still struggling. Yeah. The great financial recession. And so it, it was a it was an interesting time to, to try to figure out what the next chapter looked like. But after having a series of conversations, I realized that there wasn't a logical fit for what I wanted to do and the skill set that I brought with really what traditional capital uh, was doing at the time, the operators that I met with. And so the light bulb went off, and that's where the, the idea of Presidio Bay Ventures arose. Uh, I decided to leverage the experience and the relationships that I've had within government and running government transactions and development deals and to leave, form the company that would then in turn pursue built the suits and renovate the suits, lease back deals with the federal government uh, as our as our primary tenant. And that was really the start of it. And since then, as a company, we've grown and, and evolved. The business lines. Uh, we still have a corporate built-to-suit practice, uh, and it's expanded beyond the federal government as our as our clients. Sure. Uh, we do a lot of private sector commercial development, uh, be it creative office, adaptive reuse of, of uh, older historic buildings for creative office or uh, warehouse type uses, uh, retail. We've done a decent amount of uh, industrial and of course life sciences as well. And uh, the third business line is really focused on high density 
urban infill housing, uh, both for sale, for rent. And I think really underlying all of that has continued to be uh, commitment to dealing with complex design and engineering and construction challenges, uh, and also pursuing complicated entitlements and approvals, establishing pretty extensive relationships with local government and communities and neighborhoods as well. Being based here in San Francisco and working all up and down uh, the peninsula and the East Bay, yeah, you know, over that time frame is, has really been a, a rewarding experience. And I think we wouldn't have been able to do it if we didn't have our roots as a company in government and really truly construction. Yeah, yeah. So Cyrus, when you and I spoke about this earlier, you kind of described the company as sort of having these three pillars of focus. Is that kind of how you still look at it as an organization? Most definitely. We're diversified by practice and by design, uh, and it served us well and it served our investors well. Continually opportunistic and, and continue to grow each of the three business lines or pillars of, of the company. Uh, and of course, that, that bodes well given the cyclical nature of just the industry and, and trends. Uh, but we found that pushing the envelope for us on the urban infill housing component, for example, really helps us think about the user and, and how to push design on the creative office or life science yeah, front. Yeah. And similarly, we've learned a lot from mission critical buildings that we've developed for the federal government and for other similar private sector tenants as well, which in turn have, have fed and helped us grow the life science practice, right? So we found that this three-prong approach, having these three business lines, has been really beneficial. I would say that given the current housing shortage and crisis that's going on in California that's prevalent really all up and down the coast, and the RENA goals that all these cities are now having to fulfill and, and meet, there's always demand for housing. It's just a matter of meeting that demand and figuring out creatively how one can make those economics work. In doing so, now being able to deliver housing concurrent with delivering our commercial projects, we feel really fortunate to be in a position to be able to pursue both uh, because it helps us, you know, one helps the other and vice versa. There's a lot of interdependency, at least at the jurisdictional sort of approval level, uh, as well as the operational level, as I said. And uh, in fact, really excited and proud of, of largest mixed-use project to date, which tries to bring together all those elements of live, work, and play yeah. uh, that we've talked about in the past too with yeah. Streamline. If you were able to put your company kind of the spectrum of you know, merchant builder, uh, you know, build something and then sell it off when it's sort of leased up or, you know, complete it to the other end of the spectrum where you're kind of a long-term holder. Where where do you fit in there? Is it based on project basis? How do you approach that? I don't like selling real estate. <laughs> I certainly <laughs> hate paying taxes. I think everyone can say that. I think the, the reality is, unfortunately, or fortunately, that the capital really dictates who and what we are. Right. We're all developers and we believe long-term in the buildings that we're building. And it takes a tremendous amount of time and patience to be able to entitle, you know, approve and, and build and stabilize these phenomenal projects. 
to the extent that we can, we have held our assets long-term. And in fact, I consider ourselves to be uh, operators uh, beyond just pure developers. We yeah. have an entire portfolio management team uh, and we self-manage all of our commercial assets as well. Uh, really as a function of, of the belief that we continue to learn every day from the operations of the building, from the interactions that our tenants have uh, with the building and with our team management standpoint. And that continues to help feed information and lessons learned to the development side of the business. So really I view ourselves as, or view our firm, excuse me, as not merchant builders, but more so owner operators uh, that happen to develop these, these assets. Yeah. Are there certain projects in the region that you are, you know, very proud of things you want to highlight? You know, I think looking back, one of our first, you know, deals that I would consider to been sort of a breakthrough deal was 85 Bluxum. Yep. And we continue to own that asset. And, you know, we initially entered in the contract in 2012. It was one of the first large deals that we did at the time and went through the entitlements and, and got large cap prop M allocation in 13 months uh, and built the building in 13 months thereafter, you know, and pre-lease it during construction. It, it continues to be a really great accomplishment for the firm, uh, something that, that each of us are proud of and uh, is a nice reminder of, of really where we started and, and it helped set the tone for us in terms of our values and our philosophy towards development, considering we, you know, converted our promote to equity and, and like I said, continue to, to own that asset long-term. Yeah. So fast forward to kind of where we are in 2020, 2021, Let's talk about your development Sprigline and kind of where, where, how that came about and how you guys got involved in that project and where is it? Where, where are you hoping to take it? Sure. So Sprigline is a very large mixed-use development located in downtown Menlo Park, right next to the Caltrain station. It consists of 200,000-foot office buildings and 183-unit apartment building that sit on top of a thousand stall subterranean parking structure. And the podium itself and all the areas in between these buildings are actually what we consider here to be popos in San Francisco, but they're, they're publicly open spaces. And we're really excited about what we're planning on doing operationally with project once we open uh, in terms of activation and that interaction and interface and energization of the entire project, really creating uh, what we're calling a destination oasis. It's, it's at the forefront of our values as a firm is really looking at placemaking with this lens of, of hospitable thinking, which is to really try to think through every use case and, and the needs of each one of our, not just tenants, but also visitors uh, and everyone that interacts in one way or another with, with the project. We took over the project midway through construction, uh, restructured uh, the deal. We've been brought in by the capital uh, partner uh, really to help re-envision the project. Yeah, There were, obviously, the pandemic had kicked in, and, and there was a realization that you know, there was no leasing that had been done, and, and there was this phenomenal opportunity, given how early we were in construction, 
to be able to reimagine this blank canvas uh, and to try to position the asset as post-pandemic, you know, future of office and retail and, and urban residential living. With that, we rolled up our sleeves and, and came up with, you know, what we think is a really unique concept here and is now resonating with the market. Uh, we've conveyed sort of the cutting edge innovation that we've deployed from a technology standpoint. We've thought through all of the operational needs of what future office tenants are going to need in terms of the ability to demise spaces more effectively in order to provide for tremendous amount of indoor-outdoor connectivity, in order to provide for state-of-the-art fitness and wellness facilities, integrating healthcare spec yep. ventilation for indoor air quality and other similar types of amenities or technology and offerings. And that's just one part of it. Uh, we're really excited about the activation that we're able to very soon uh, unveil in terms of all the partnerships that we have with some phenomenal restaurateurs and retail operators uh, that you would all recognize, all with the goal of creating a destination. Placemaking, like I said, is front and center of our ethos. We truly believe that without it, uh, there is no competitive advantage. There is no way of differentiating the product. Yeah. And with Springline, as I recall in our earlier conversation, I mean, you guys really went to work in terms of trying to figure out how to engage with technology, how to use technology to help you learn and help you kind of create a setting that is truly unique and different, how to sort of really make that sort of engagement with the people that will be part of that physical space, right? Tell us about that whole process, because I thought that was that was sort of, you know, a very interesting approach. You know, you're not just building a structure and saying you're paying attention to things, but you actually, like, went ahead and did a lot of stuff that was, you know, relatively innovative for the industry. Yeah, and, you know, I think that's really the byproduct of, of many years of research and beyond research investment in innovative technology. Despite our name, we're really a real estate firm, but we have made a tremendous amount of investment uh, on the venture capital side in real estate technologies before the prop tech space sort of became a thing, before yeah. all you know, formally launched and validated the space. Uh, and we did that because we believe that we have to be on the cutting edge, not just because of the fact that we're located in the Bay Area and the heart of innovation and the capital you know, of innovation in the world, but because we wanted to push the envelope operationally to enhance the tenant and occupant experience, to improve our own efficiency as an owner-operator, to deliver buildings at a more cost effect in a more cost effective way. Uh, and so for years we've been focused on, on you know continuing to pilot new technology, uh, help entrepreneurs uh, through advisory positions that we took in companies and continue to actively take, enhance their product offering, enhance their ability to, and their success in getting to market. And 
coming into COVID, we realized that in a time that's so unprecedented where we were all completely isolated and sheltering in place, how do you filter the noise of what the immediate aftermath effect of a pandemic is on the occupant's mindset, right, or perspective? How do we filter what's short-term, mid-term, and long-term in terms of the effect of the pandemic on occupants? What do we, in turn, as developers who are creating these incredible places, having to do to anticipate what the needs of those occupants are yeah. in response to both the pandemic but also the post-pandemic setting. And technology was clearly the solution for us. We took that to heart. We recognized that everything from access control to you know, the building systems themselves, but then also the user experience was extremely invaluable uh, to ensuring that we had or that we were delivering what would be the future of the office or the future of residential real estate or the future of retail. What were some of those insights that, that came out from that experience and from those learnings? Yeah, I mean, look, I think what was, what was interesting for us was approaching it in a holistic way. I think a lot of asset managers view variables, you know, on a, on a spreadsheet and, and really want to see a direct cause and effect, right? If I invest money into this, you know, how is it going to affect the bottom line right, in that way? Right. And so we broke that, that way of thinking internally and said, it, it's, it's not, each variable is not going to have a direct ROI. Uh, let's take a step back and see what the holistic need of the occupant of, a, of the future of office looks like, right? And so everything from access controls uh, to, you know, being seamless, but down to just frictionless interaction with the building. Yeah. And real-time and needing to, to, to be able to receive real-time data uh, in order to understand the effect of my presence in the building, on the building and its occupants, and also to help me change my own behavior, right? Um, other things just anecdotally that we, you know, thought about, unfortunately, the pandemic created a tremendous amount of hardship for a lot of people. There's a disparity in the impact that the pandemic had on people economically beyond obviously the health reason, you know, health impact, you know, childcare or the absence or, or lack of childcare for a lot of people uh, for financial and, and otherwise uh, just practical reasons was a huge inhibitor on their ability to continue to work. Sure. Yep. So again, anecdotally, uh, we're strong proponents of, of ensuring that there's affordable, accessible health uh, child care. All of our projects that can support it from a scale standpoint, right? And in fact, pivoting away from Springline, you know, our ocean, our 99 Ocean project, which we broke ground on in November of 2020, when all the headlines were saying that the pandemic has decimated San Francisco's apartment landscape, and yeah. rents are down 25 to 30 percent, and everyone is fleeing the city. We had firm commitment in our conviction to, to deliver workforce housing. Uh, that's the largest home SF project that's in uh, San Francisco to date. Uh, and that project, rather than paying the in lieu fee uh, for childcare, uh, we elected to actually go ahead and build a 7,000 square foot 
childcare facility uh, on premises, on site. And we're currently actively structuring a management agreement with a, a local nonprofit operator to run that space. So uh, that's just one example of sure. our yep. assessing what the sort of current needs are uh, within the markets or within society and then and then responding to it. Yeah, yeah. You have for Springline, and not to just focus on you know Springline, but I'm using that mainly as kind of an exemplar of what you might go do in the future as well. There's an app affiliated with the property as well, right? So I think that's part of that engagement with the people that are, you know, either using the space or going to be in the space. Tell us a little bit about how that evolved and sort of the purpose of uh, of that interaction through through a digital form. Absolutely. I mean. You hit the nail on the head there in terms of the user experience for us was top of mind. That affects both the built environment, but also their actual interactions amongst themselves. Their interactions, not just within their own office space or their apartments, but also with the retailers, for example, the interaction with the parking structure or even the bike or e-scooter charging stations. We needed a way to be able to pull all of that information together and to be able to educate and inform all of our visitors, occupants, about what's going on at the project. Yeah. And going back to sort of the importance of placemaking sort of activation, the building in and of itself or the buildings in and of themselves don't really have any life. In order to stimulate and energize that life, Amongst all the users, the office, the residential, the retail, and visitors and the neighbors, we needed a way to consistently uh, funnel information and gamify the experience, right? And so the app is going to be available to everybody, uh, whether you're a tenant or not. It's your portal to the project. It's going to provide you with real-time updates on everything from our solar power generation and our water consumption to the latest offers that the fitness studio has in terms of drop-ins or the featured smoothie that the cafe is going to have. Yeah. And down to, to the you know nitty-gritty of how do I get in and out of the parking garage every day? Uh, do I have to keep pulling out a clunky fob like you currently do in most buildings? No. What is the one thing that we carry on us at all times, everywhere we go, to our bedside tables when we go to sleep? It's our smartphones, yeah, right? Yeah. So thinking through, again, that user experience and saying, all right, if I'm just a visitor, I don't want to be pulling a piece of paper. How many times have you lost that piece of paper and or seen that sign that says, you know, in case tickets lost, you know, $90, fine. No, let's drive it all through and, and, and optimize that user experience through this app and through their smartphone. And so uh, everyone's credentials are going to be through there. Uh, access to the Wi-Fi network that's going to be uh, ubiquitous throughout the project is going to is going to occur through there, and for residents, on the other hand, as well, uh, we're going to have all of your you know what's now become standard, you know, tenant portal communication, rent payment, and work order systems, and so on. You're also going to have access to the community boards and figuring out that Canopy, who's hosting a pretty incredible TED talk that night, has sent you an invite as a resident. And you can access all that through your phone and and be sort of informed of what's going on. Again, just to further encourage this energization, this activation, this interaction, uh, which is going to be at the heart of the placemaking strategy that we have. 
we have all witnessed in the last year the immense disruption that COVID has had, not just on our businesses, yours and mine, but on everything else, right? As you you explained also how it has helped you essentially think about you know what what the what that product or what your your products in the in the future need to look like or need to have or be sort of characterized by. What has this done to your business? Have you have you kind of taken this opportunity to sort of rethink what Presidio Bay Ventures is does those three pillars that you talked about? You know, does that help you think about a fourth pillar, a fifth pillar, or maybe replacing one of those pillars? You know, where where do where do you as a company go? Kind of given everything that we've um, experienced in the last twelve or so, eighteen or so months. You know. Big question. <laughs> we started the company at the sort of bottom of the bottom app the last of the innovative entrepreneurial spirit that I think everyone at the firm shares makes an incredible team. We've talked about how the pandemic and, you know, it looks like we're on the back end of it, thankfully. But we've talked about how the pandemic, as it was unfolding, forced us to really look at operations and, and rethink what the future of office and retail and residential looks like. We're not through it yet. And, and of course, we're continuing to, to evolve and observe and, you know, continue this feedback loop as we, as we further design and, and, and build uh, projects. Uh, but taking a step back and, and looking at how it affected us as a firm, it, it created tremendous opportunity. We had to pivot uh, in very short order on capitalizing a few of our deals, uh, which at the time, you know, 99 Ocean was an example. It forced innovation, right? It forced us to think outside the box and come up with creative structures to capitalize deals. It actually presented a, a, a ton of opportunity as well, both in terms of deal flow, obviously our, our, our Springline project, and then uh, a series of other acquisitions we did last year, including uh, 777 Industrial in San Carlos, uh, are examples of that. And I think most importantly, afforded us the ability to onboard, uh, to hire and onboard some really incredible people. And the one thing that I'm really proud of the team for doing is rather than retreat, in the light of or in the face of the pandemic was to actually go on the offensive. Uh, and we uh, proactively hired some incredible talent, uh, both on the design and construction side and on the acquisition and development side at a time when no one was hiring. You know, we hired six people in 2020, uh, six or seven people in 2020. And our growth path is, is continuing now aggressively as well. Uh, we're actively hiring for another uh, six or seven positions in the firm and investing in your people, doubling down on your people with training, with support when the seas are rough will just pay dividends long-term, both for the loyalty and commitment, but also just in that trust that we're there for one another and, and we'll pull through it all, no matter how scary the time may be. Given sort of you know, what San Francisco is experiencing now with, you know, COVID and just overall, you know, business-wise, you know, you mentioned you've gone down to San Carlos, down down the peninsula. Obviously, you have the spring line in, you know, Menlo Park. 
Are there certain geographies in the Bay Area that you like more going forward? You know, would you focus maybe more specifically on some of the suburban infill kind of stuff, or or do you still feel that you know San Francisco holds that special place for where you guys want to be? Look, we're, we're headquartered in San Francisco, and I would say that our focus at the moment is on executing the significant investments that we've made in San Francisco. We're actively looking at new development opportunities in San Francisco at the moment, but in the same way that we're diversified as a firm in terms of our business lines, uh, we are also diversified geographically. And I think that that has certainly served us well over the last 12 to 15 months. And we're only continuing that growth now. Uh, and it's not just Springline that took us down, you know, the peninsula, but we're really excited about the opportunities that are ahead of us in South San Francisco and Burlingame and in San Carlos. Uh, we're continuing to expand our investments in Menlo Park and in Palo Alto. And at the risk of, of making a you know political statement or, or judgment, I would just say that it behooves all of us who have a vested interest as residents and as owners of, of, of real estate, as investors, uh, to really start getting involved in the political day-to-day of the cities that we live in. And yeah. especially, yeah. there is a reason that companies are leaving San Francisco. That is reality. I think ignoring that will it, it, it just is a complete injustice. Uh, and we need to look at the root of, of what's driving that. And so, look, as a business, we're opportunistic and we cannot and never have put all our eggs in one basket, whether in one vertical or in one geography. But you know, I will leave it with saying that we are heavily focused on investments south of San Francisco at yep. the moment. Yeah. As you anticipate kind of, you know, things turning around here in the next, you know, 12, 18, 24 months, what do you look for in the market to kind of give you a sense where, where things are? Are there certain indices that you typically follow, certain kind of indicators? How do you read the tea leaves of the, of the industry? Yeah, fundamentally, we're a relationship business, right? Real estate at its core is driven by information and that information is no more, no, is accessible in no better a place than than from the source. Uh, and so we are constantly talking with city officials. We're constantly talking with investors. We're constantly speaking with brokers who have active tenants in the market. Uh, we are speaking with contractors and architects talking about their workload. We are talking to other developers. That's really been the reason why we're so focused on the Bay Area and, and geographically concentrated with the majority of our business uh, and continues to be how we how we track and, and make decisions as to what the future of the business looks like for us at Presidio Bay in terms of geographies that we want to invest in. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you sort of a future question here, which I know can sometimes be uncomfortable, but you're approaching your 10-year anniversary now, here, Cyrus, in 2031, what, what do you hope Presidio Bay Ventures looks like? You know, my hope is that we 
continue to have a lot of fun doing what we're doing right now, continue to make meaningful change uh, in the communities that we're building in, and to have a team that is fulfilled and, and, and really proud to work at Presidio Bay. I, I view what we do as having an effect well beyond our time, both in the industry and on Earth. Uh, and so I don't take that lightly at all. I think we have a, a profound impact as developers in the real estate industry of affecting how cities look, um, how people interact with cities, within cities. Uh, and so I just hope that we can continue to do what we're doing and, and look back and be really proud of the projects that we've delivered. Cyrus, I appreciate again you taking the time to speak with us. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, stay safe. I really appreciate it. It was great speaking with you, Lance. Take care. Stay safe out there. Thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. Stories like these help us shape our understanding of the industry. And we appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. Please follow us on any app where you get your podcasts and tell your colleagues about us. Thank you in helping us spread the word about our work and the industry that is changing the face of business.